Blog Talk Radio. Identity of an 
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Father, and your white great grandfather saw 
killed my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We are at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood rushes through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave.
those who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. You're welcome to Africa on the Moon. On the fifth day of November, 2040, you welcome everyone to another episode of Enlightenment, and information for liberation. As your host, Brother Africa, we greet you with the words history, struggle, and revolution. We'll be speaking in those arenas tonight. We headline up a special guest, Pan-Africanist Brother Gerald Carroll. Unfortunately, tonight we have encountered some technical difficulties, and we're going to try to reschedule in terms of bringing our brother back. But in meanwhile, Y'all listen to that on the moon, and you know how we get started with our party. We're going to introduce to you our political panelists, talk about what's going on in your world and the community, followed by today's theme, which we say will be history, struggle, and revolution. Those are areas of discussions as we highlight the interesting documentaries that you can locate on YouTube that you think has, they have a lot of um, important information and lessons in which we can draw from. We will have that discussion from our political panelists today. So at this point in time, this is Brother Africa. Let's bring in our political panelists and analysts for today's program. First, we have with us Brother Haki, who's a member of the African Awareness Association, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <coughs> My name is Haki Kamafi Mashoki. And, of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. But certainly one of the things that's so relevant in terms of institution building is the question around self-determination. 
I think it's particularly important that, you know, particularly when it comes to oppressed people, that this concept of self-determination, we internalize that and understand all its merits and why it's so necessary in terms of our, our, our push for genuine freedom in this American society. And having said that, Brother Africa, I wrote a quick piece on um, the, the importance of self-determination as it pertains to Africa are uh, more important with relevance to African struggles right here inside of North America. In the event, Brother Africa, check this out. Now, the problem of attaining self-determination or control over our lives in Africa and the U.S. lies in leadership who, who have internalized the inevitability of capitalism despite the inequalities implicit in it. Self-determination as a survival tool must be inculcated in the minds of the oppressed because of the three attributes it entails. And those attributes are, one, an autonomy, self-reliance, two, competence or drive and determination, and three, relatedness or understanding our common humanity. Interestingly, both imperialism internationally and capitalism nationally employ propaganda strategies that weakens the drive for self-determination, thereby creating a more pliable population who easily succumbs to capitalist propaganda thereby becoming complicitous in their own subjugation. In the case of Africa, African agency or making decisions independently and having the will to enforce such decisions is vital to achieving an autonomous Africa. The fight for autonomy in Africa is curtailed by leaders who embrace external economic and political policy designed to eliminate any possibility of Africa's emergence on the world stage while ensuring the fragmentation of African states. Now, without a doubt, fragmentation of African states is achieved by many means, but the economic means imposed by imperialism is the most pervasive and problematic. Contributing to Africa's misfortune is external foreign policies that controls Africa's agricultural output by designating which markets are prioritized and which are not, including domestic markets. Infrastructure development, likewise, is determined not by African states, but by Western international banks that use investment strategies employing excessive interest rates on loans, establishing commodity prices for raw materials below the value of the Western markets, and currency manipulation of African currencies using Western currencies, <coughs> which are highly, were highly valued relative currencies of African states. This means whenever Africa borrows or repays loans, the difference in the value of the currency means Africa not only has to use more of its currencies to repay loans, resulting in high inflation, but the indebtedness of African states grows larger. Currently, African states are indebted to the West between $300 million to $12 billion, and the debt trap continues to grow. Reality is African heads of states can no longer romanticize about the benefits of capitalism. There are none. After any discussion of real self-determination, the tendency is to bestow value on capitalism when none is warranted. This does not mean this course of achieving self-determination cannot differ. Historically, President Nkrumah of Ghana advocated for the creation of a union of African states, or in other words, Africa to act as a bloc while Mwalimu, Julius Nereri of Tanzania, pushed for regional countries in Africa to form blocks to challenge Western hegemony or control. President Nereri eventually came to the conclusion President Nkrumah was correct. Unless Africa spoke and acted on one accord, Western asymmetrical attacks, which are strategically aligned, would continue to employ divide-and-conquer techniques, thus maintaining a stranglehold on Africa. Now, it should be noted, implicit in both strategies were the variable of self-determination. Unlike today's discussion, strategies discussed today are void of any acknowledgement of self-determination. In fact, pan-Africanism discussions are woefully lacking and has been since 2012 on the continent of Africa. With the exception of Dr. P. L. Lumumba, 
President Abdul of Ghana, President Museveni of Uganda, and President Ruto of Kenya, the tendency among African leaders is to treat capitalism exploits of Africa as a viable means to conduct business, despite the level of devastation capitalism inflicts on Africa. Offensively, these tendencies of African leaders to overlook the ravages of capitalism on the continent is confounding, which begs the question, if the devastation of Africa is quantifiable, observable, evident in view of policies that adversely impact Africa, what possibly could be the motivation for political leaders in Africa carrying out policy that leads to entrenched poverty, rampant suffering, and social dysfunction? Compounded by the fact Westerners who facilitate such foreign policy have difficulty embracing African humanity. How is it some African leaders confused, confused, continue to embrace their own subjugation? Now, the structural dimensions of Western imperialism are too obvious to overlook. The stated intent of Western aid and the outcomes of Western aid are often, often real, very different outcomes than what was envisioned. Structural adjustment programs immediately comes to mind. Taunted as a benefit to Africa's economic growth, the reality has been quite different. Postulating the inclusive growth of African economies, the exact opposite transpired. While Western states' economies prospered under these P programs, Structural adjustment, program pro, structural adjustment program programs, uh, Africa's economies continue to decline. With what was projected to be an economic boom in 20, 2010 for Africa was simultaneously hit with interest rate increases, currency devaluation, and declining commodity prices, courtesy of the IMF. Ironically, despite the level of investments from the West that increases from the West, West well, African economies continue the historical economic decline. Egypt is a perfect example. In, in addition, structural adjustment programs also promised access to Western markets, but access, but access was hampered by increased export costs uh, that made shipping commodities expensive to Western states, essentially nullifying an agreement to open up Western markets to Africa. More problematic, structural adjustment programs promised social protections or implementation of social safety net that would be part of the economic planning ensuring African masses would have access to education and or health care. Needless to say, the promises never materialized because capitalists in the West view expenditures on education and healthcare in Africa as nonproductive investments and that funding on a social safety net would take away from funds being invested in a more productive way. In other words, education and healthcare is a privilege, not a right. <clears throat> the, chicanery, the chicanery is nonstop. In order to ensure African states, especially Southern Africa, had no resources to invest in trivial pursuits like education and healthcare, the IMF, which is a Western bank, which serves the interests of the Western world, reduced its investments in Southern Africa. Between 2020 and 2022, Western investments for the entire Southern region were reduced to just $50 billion, despite higher than usual returns on international investments. Now, covert strategies prevent African states from using its resources to address educational and educational needs were successful. Not surprisingly, by 2022, Sub-Saharan African economic growth was projected to decline one full percentage point from the previous year high of 4.7%. While Sub-Saharan African states' economies were relatively stable 2012 to 2021, however, the kind of economic stability of, geo of the GDP increases needed to programmatically address systemic educational and healthcare needs continues to invade African states. Issues of economic devastation of African states was augmented by the pandemic with Western insistence Africa must close its economies. This orchestrated move by Western states, specifically the U.S. and the U.K., 
saw an increase in central bank's interest rates and tighter borrowing, borrowing, borrowing obligations for countries, particularly Africa, while commodity prices are lesser in value in response. The bottom line is this. Western strategies to impoverish Africa continues to be successful. Out of a necessity, a different African strategy must be employed. Ideas of a capitalist as a noble savior have long been discredited, and a new paradigm in its place is needed. If African leaders are content to embrace the continuation of capitalism as a solution to Africa's challenges, then it falls on the masses to no longer disregard the facts before them and advocate for those leaders who are bold enough to say to the West, no more. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make our transition to Brother Anthony, a member of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. We bring him in and say, welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Uh, revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. That is the ultimate uh, solution to the problems Africans throughout the world face worldwide. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And next, we will go to Brother Moses, Robert Moses, who is the organizer and member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism, the father of scientific socialism. I was introduced to Marxism in a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, E-R-A, yes. The struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few. We find ourselves faced with many dilemmas in life. There's many paths, many choices, yes, no's, right, left. There's, there's contradiction everywhere. But we must have a be guided by revolutionary theory because without revolutionary theory, there is no revolutionary movement. And so we must enlighten people because the masses and the masses alone will make world history. And so it's our jobs to be the light of the world and to do our best to serve the people and keep politics in command. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Right now, I'm Brother Africa. Now, panelists in the seat, and they're going to take their heat tonight. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to what's going on in your world and the community. And we invite you, we invite you, this audience, to call in at 323-679-0841. 
and share with the world what's going on in your world and the community. We'll be right back, and you are listening to Africa on the News. So vast, so great, the African embrace, the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings. Human love on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond love beyond your skin. To where you belong. Style like a precocious child. 
Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Cause we're hip to the world, so we create black pearl. Everyone can wear, everyone can share. We can't live in despair, so we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and on. Plantations and never get no pay. It's 
it's a full time now, we set to the score. Yes, a full time now, black people should know. Africa, you know what you see. Africa, you know what you see. Mama Africa, you know what you see. Africa, you know what you see. You see a nation without any mystery. It's like a tree with a root That kind of tree could never bear no fruit Mama Africa Before we dance abroad we got to Learn to dance a yard Divide and rule could only tear us apart The time has come for I and I to I night Hakuna Matata make me stop all the fight Been through the struggle and washed down the drain So much agony and so much pain Africa, you know what you Africa, you know what you Africa, you know what you Yo, as a people, we want to live in peace and harmony. The wicked PFS man has the rank and file with anarchy. Papa was plotted like a goat in a butchery. Mama was raped like a whore in total misery. Bumaye, Bumaya. Bumaye, Bumaya. Chase them out cause them too filthy. Mabrak, 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 Mabrak. Strike them out just like them cast a blasphemy. Them desecrated the holy lands at Timbuktu, Lalibela, Duri, Gaga, Gaga, Duri. Chase them out, out of Duri, Gaga, Gaga, Duri, Duri, Gaga. Gaga, Duri, Duri, Gaga, Gaga, Duri. Africa, you know Africa, you know Africa, you know Yo, Rasta, now they're back again. Anchor, Missy Wangwano, now I would be a mo. In Africa, we sit on gold, yet we never gain. Yeah, man, we sit on diamond, yet we go through pain. Dot the Chinese man, thief with diamond, gold and tin, and only laugh and drink champagne. Our misleaders, who say them will lead us, only betray we and feel no shame. African people are eating more Chinese food now than Chobo Dom Plantain. Chinese man gone down with indigenous, just like them born insane. Here, everywhere you go now, black people touch on a cheap Chinese imitation like sugar cane. No wonder now, the churches in Africa sing Chinese hymns and a higher octave. Come to tell you 
Let's fight for pan-Africanism. So on that note, with our political panelists and analysts, they can continue to guide us down the road of liberation as we begin to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. We're coming back to you, Brother Haki. There's so much going on. The world wants to know what's going on in your world and the community. The mic is yours. Is yours. Well, Brother Africa, I read, a, I read a very interesting article on the current house speaker, Mike Johnson. I thought it was very, very interesting. In event, apparently he adopted a, a, a African male child between 14 and 16 years of age, depending on who you talk to. Now, when he was asked why he'd been silent about the adoption and not presenting the adoptee in pictures or the biography he wrote, uh, Johnson replied his adopted son since becoming a man prior to his election to Congress opposed being in the spotlight. Now, interestingly, between 14 and 16 years of age, uh, prior to Johnson's election to, elect, election to Congress, Johnson did not divulge the discrepancy as to his adopted son's absence when it came to, you know, pictures, family gatherings, and those kinds of things. Now, Johnson did reveal, you know, what he perceived as ethnic awareness. He informed his adopted son he opposes reparations because it undermines the history of self-reliance. Now, my question is, just what is the correlation between reparation and self-reliance? That correlation or that connection is unclear to me, since one does not negate the other. Johnson's opposition perhaps had more to do with, with, with government policy that he supports that embraces African, Afri, Af, embraces African servitude. Now, Johnson did contradict himself, according to, the, to this, this, this article. He acknowledged the role of his adopted son, that, that he, the role that he must travel will be difficult because he is black, unlike his white son, who is a white Caucasian, not a white American. And the usage of the phrasing, it was very, very interesting because he said his son was a white Caucasian and not a white American. So in other words, what he's alluding to, his white son benefits from a global construct of whiteness. And I find a very interesting logic from a person who opposes reparations on one hand Acknowledges systematic inequality, but yet opposes reparations. I find that strikingly uh, 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 disjointed. But in any event, that is the position that Mike Johnson takes. So again, when we talk about hypocrisy in the White House, hypocrisy in politics, then we should be very, very clear. You know that this is part and parcel in terms of what it would be a politician here in the United States. With that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we make our transition to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? The mic is yours. Okay. Uh, 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 let's say a few things. Uh, one, uh, there was, uh, there was a, a, a demo yesterday in Washington, D.C., uh, near the, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh Near Nash, uh, near Freedom Plaza. Uh, uh, let's see about. Uh, uh, let's see. They estimate. I saw estimates of about a hundred thousand people per uh, participated, uh, showing support of the Palestinians uh, in the struggle against Zionism. And uh, that uh, that struggle is intensifying, uh, you know uh, uh, now, and uh, and it seems like uh, a lot of the countries in the south 
supporting the Palestinians while, uh, you know, the Zionist forces are being being supported by the imperialist countries. Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Brother Moses, the mic is yours. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, Brother Afro, and um, uh, Brother Anthony stole my thunder. Um, um, but there were two demonstrations yesterday, one at 11 a.m. at Malcolm X Park that had a march to the White House um, um, that was the Black is Back Coalition, and uh, it was a significant march, significant speakers. Um, they were live over WPFW radio and uh, Pacifica. And so that was a good thing. And then at uh, two, two, um, there was the 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 Answer Coalition and the the Palestinian movement marching. Um, they're saying three hundred thousand today, uh, showing pictures of the crowd and stuff, and and uh, leave up their estimates. And um, so those are two good things. Um, I say, you know, it's not the man, it's the plan, and um, we have to put politics in command and unite and don't split and unite with the progressive movement and the revolutionary movement. And uh, I think, you know, the fact that there was two different marches shows the the um, state of the union. But nevertheless, um, people are conscious, and they, both sides were con- – both, both groups were conscious of uh, – uh, Palestinians and put Palestinians in the forefront because right now that is the issue of the hour, the burning issue of the hour, and free, free Palestine. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, and to all my panelists today in terms of what's going on in your world and community. I'd like to just get your general response to also, I believe, November second, the year took it annual vote. In terms of lifting the blockade from Cuba, I believe the vote went down 187 in favor to put into blockade, two opposed, and one the same. What can we make of this particular vote, given the fact being over 50 years or more, where the whole world has said in the blockade and it's unjust and principle? Brother Haki. Well, I, I, you know, Brother Africa, certainly one of the things you can conclude from that vote, uh, a historical vote, you know, when you think about the fact that, you know, all of these countries consistently say that the blockade is immoral and illegal and to end it, and the U.S. position is go to hell, then you conclude from the U.S. US position that the question in terms of international law is not high, a high priority for the United States, United States government. In that context, when you talk about a power that's not committed to international law, how can you trust such a power? And the mere fact that all those nations who oppose what is essentially – you know, a criminality being inflicted on the Cuban government. All those countries that oppose that kind of criminality, I find it ironic that despite, you know, their opposition to U.S. Uh, US uh, designs, not a one has actually, you know, not, not, not at least a group have not banded together, have yet to band together to say despite, you know, your sanctions on Cuba, we're going to violate those sanctions because it's a humane thing, it's a humane and illegal thing to do internationally. Uh, that hasn't happened. Uh, so clearly, but the mere fact that the U.S. is willing to stand alone and, and to articulate, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, in despite, in spite of, 
you know, of the, the world saying that what you're doing is wrong, and he was persistent that despite the fact that what you're doing is wrong to to persist in that behavior, uh, suggests, you know, that the U.S. sees itself as somehow outside of the world body. And if that be the case, if they see themselves as somehow outside of the world body, then certainly we can understand when you look in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, these military formations, you know, uh, that exist throughout the world that are funded by the U.S. We, when we look at it in terms of the kind of um, undermining, you know, of uh, people's economies around the world, then certainly we can understand that. And in the context of the U.S., those kind of things are just improper. And because there has been no real resistance in terms of countries around the world to resist that kind, that, that kind of mindset, the bottom line that the U.S. feels empowered to continue doing what it's do, doing, in terms of the exploitation, you know, of the world. And so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, it, it speaks values in terms of just what it is uh, uh, to be, you know, uh, a, you know, American leader, in terms of lack of ethics, lack, lack of morality, a lack of fundamental fairness. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think that, you know, this pretty much in, encapsulate, you know, uh, you know, what America is all about. And the people at this point haven't grasped the point that America is not committed to that which is just and honorable, and if they haven't concluded that point yet, then I guess it's going to take a little bit more more destruction for them to come to the realization that there's something fundamentally skewed in terms of American foreign policy, in terms of how it treats uh, humanity throughout the world. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Africa. Brother Africa, your, your take on the recent vote uh, in the U.N. to end the illegal, unjust, racist, and immoral blockade on Cuba. It is significant that the uh, that the only countries that voted against it were the U.S. and uh, and uh, Israel. I think that is significant. Every everybody voted uh, for that resolution, and one abstention, one abstention. And uh, let's see, I forget the name of the country that abstained, but uh, I think it's significant that uh, that uh, the world is uh, is overwhelmingly against the blockade, and uh, you know this puts added pressure on the U.S. to lift it. Now, whether it continues to, um, you know, go against uh, world opinion uh, remains to be seen. But uh, pressure is mounting for the U.S. to put an end to the blockade. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Moses, your thoughts on this recent vote at the end? Right. Well, you know, there's no question in my mind it's a mandate. Uh, the world has given us a mandate year after year that um, Cuba, which is a Marxist government and an anti-racist government and an epitome of racism is embodied in the great Satan and the little Satan, the U.S. and Israel, and there's two racist, racist governments. And... Uh, so we see the world is demanding change. Every year they're demanding change, and it's up to us to, to produce that change. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, panelists, one of the things it seems to me in terms of looking at the U.S. behavior 
within the concept or the, this body they call the United Nations is that every time when they uh, undermine Democratic votes on issues and they refuse to vote by it, what it does is it compromises the integrity of that body. So how can you expect other folks to act democratically when you don't, when the vote against goes against you? Your response to that narrative, Brother Haki? Brother Africa, I, I think I would maybe make an, an exception in terms of, you know, my perception in terms of the UN. I don't necessarily see it as being a, a, a uh, democratic body. I think specifically the UN was specific in terms of, you know, carrying out Western interests. In that regard, I think is is, is, is primarily designed to carry out the interests of the United States. So in that regard, we shouldn't be surprised in terms of the kind of positions the United States takes. Essentially, when you start thinking in terms of funding, you know, to the UN and disproportionate amount of money the U.S. pays toward to funding the UN, then certainly we can anticipate that uh, they will use or at least poly, you know, those contributions in terms of money uh, to political to, to political policies they enact around the world. So in that regard, I think their position is that listen, we pay essentially to run this organization, we create this organization. Therefore, we do as we please, and this notion in terms of you intervening and telling the great U.S. what to do is simply out of bounds. So I think in that context, you know, the U.N. is not certainly not democratic, nor was designed to be democratic. And I, I, I think that, you know, the bottom line is that when we talk about the U.N., we, we can't divorce it from, uh, you know, from um, being something less than something less than autonomous. Uh, the, the bottom line is that if, in fact, if, if – the Security Councils are based upon, you know, so-called most powerful states in, on the planet. Uh, then certainly, one thing you, you have to conclude is that oftentimes, being the most among the most powerful states on the planet, uh, your, their interests would would do it, would would circumvent or certainly take place of the interests of the world at large. And so, that in that regard, I think UN is anything but democratic. And with that, brother Africa, I conclude. Yeah, I hear you, brother Hockey. I think the point I was making tactically. If the U.S. could make the argument, people of country need to be democratic, and if they're going to use UN as a tool to carry out their policy, each time when it goes against that, I was just saying it seems to me it allow other countries not to obey any rules that come out of UN. If that's how the U.S. is going to be allowed to operate, that's the point I was making and highlighting the contradiction. No, I understand what you. I understand what you. I understand what you're saying, brother Africa. But the point that I'm making is that don't listen to what the U.S. says. Listen to what it does. We understand that the whole premise behind the U.N. is all about democratizing the world. That is the premise. That is not the reality. And so in that context, then we got to understand, pay attention to what not what the U.S. say, but what it does. And so when they act recklessly, then keep in mind, they understand, the U.S. leadership understands fully that by, that by acting recklessly, they empower other nations to act recklessly, which is in the interest of the United States government. And so, so, so but my, my point, Brother Africa, is that, you know, uh, one of the things that when we start thinking about the U.N. in terms of being democratic or certainly have a roots in democracy, then I'm saying that's fundamentally a, a misnomer. That simply doesn't exist. And that is the whole point that I'm making. I understand the point that you're making. But I'm saying that that point in terms of U.S. being uh, legitimately uh, democratic, I think, is fallacious. I think it's, I think it's, a, it's a specious argument. I think that when you look at it in terms, not in terms of the evolution of the United Nations, it's very, very clear that the United States serves the interests of the West, particularly the United States. In that regard, it could never be really democratic. And so when they say 
when they espouse democratic ideas, it's just it's just rhetoric. They do that because it sounds good. It doesn't mean that they're committed to the concept of democracy. So that's my only point, Brother African. I hear you, Haki. I hear you, my brother. Brother Anthony, where you in on this question of U.S. cannot use this propaganda ploy of, of fight for democracy when each time it goes against the interests of the votes that come on you in, they do the opposite. Can other countries do the same thing from your perspective? No, they can't. And uh, and that's because uh, uh, of the the U.S.'s military uh, cl- uh, clout. And uh, and uh, let's see, and uh, any company, uh, any country that uh, that stands up to the U.S. faces the possibility of sanctions. And uh, and uh, and uh, you know, uh, let's see about uh, a large portion of the world's population is uh, is confronted with U.S. Uh, sanctions now. So uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, you know, like in, like any other bully chooses what uh uh what policies it would implement and uh it uses the UN as uh a, 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 as a tool of imperialism. And we can give Brother Moses if he has any comments to his final say on this issue. Anything you want to add or detract from this conversation, Brother Moses? No, I think people are on the point. Uh, the UN is a is a tool by the U.S. to get its interests. And you know, when it was originally founded, like the League of Nations and other other little uh, international bodies, they form. Um, it's to produce. It's to make sure their interest is carried out. That's that's why they form these organizations. And uh, and um, ostensibly, one of their interests is to stop World War Three. And you know that's that's ostensibly one of their interests, and uh, and uh, you know so we have to recognize what's possible and what's impossible with the UN, and unite. You know, 187 people, um, countries is a powerful thing. The people united will never be defeated, and uh, it's just a matter of time before the will of the people is is carried out. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And to our listening audience, this is Africa on the Move. What we're going to do right now, we're going to make a, take a station break, a rubbish culture break, and when we come back, we're going to make our transition to our theme tonight. We're going to deal with some aspects of history, struggle, and revolution. Uh, there are several, several documentaries that is on YouTube. We would encourage you to check out. We will cut a couple of them in the context of that theme tonight, history, struggle, and revolution, when we when we return, this is Africa on the Moon. Everything I am, my support system. I can't live. 
about him The best thing since sliced bread Is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch And I just want the whole world to know About my black brother I love you And I'll never try to hurt you I want you to know that I'm here for you forever true Cause you're my black brother Strong brother And there is no one above you
the sister were talking about the history of the union, which was established in 1945 in San Francisco, California. And she talked about we must look at the United Nations in terms of at the time when it was created. It was created during the time where, where most of the world was colonized. Not only that most of the world was colonized, but also that this whole question of human rights and human rights laws and policies was policy laws that were not aimed at African or African people. So given the origins of that particular narrative, panelists, the question come well the question comes about in the area of whether or not when we look at institutions, whether or not is the playing the role that it should play or is the real reality is the reality as the sister alluded to or another design to deal with issues and currents and, and interests of Africa and African people. We talk about that a little bit, Brother Haki, can you weigh in further on that particular critique of the UN from this documentary? You know, uh, I think uh, during the time this thing was, the UN, you know, came into fruition, I think clearly uh, the motivations were suspect. Uh, but keep in mind, brother, prior to that San Francisco meeting, the San Francisco conference in 1945 establishing the UN, two years prior to uh, FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, member of PML Stalin, uh, uh, around this question in terms of establishing the UN. So I thought that was very, very interesting. But more important thing, Brother Africa, I think when you talk about terms of nefarious motives, I think one of the things we have to conclude is that when you talk about the founding members, of which there was 47, out of those 47 states who were founding members of the UN, uh, four were from Africa. Now, the four specifically from Africa were from South Africa, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Liberia. Now, South Africa, of course, at that time was, was heavily under apartheid regime. Uh, Egypt, of course, has always been in line with the West for a very, very long time. Liberia, of course, is a colony of the United States. Why Ethiopia? Perhaps because Egypt was one of the few African countries that resist colonization, so maybe they want to bring them into the fold in terms of making them feel special in terms of being a founding member of the UN. But certainly when you look at in terms of this, the, 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 the makeup of the founding members, uh, clearly this framework that's been established for the world uh, uh, omits Africa to a large extent. And the mere fact that most African states are omitted from, you know, uh, you know, being a part of the established international framework suggests that the, the interest of Africa was certainly not an interest of those people who started the UN, in particular, in particular the United States. Uh, so I think, so when she says that the UN is, in fact, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, very counterproductive when it comes to the interests of African, of African states, I think she's hitting on something there. I think that's very, very, I think that's very, very key. I think also, just in, and I'll say this and I conclude, I think also one of the things that I, I find very, very interesting is that when you talk about the evolution of the UN and they talk about the, 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 the maintenance of peace, it's very, very interesting that the, part of the rationale behind the UN was the whole idea that they want to contain the axis of evil. In this particular case, they're talking about Germany, Italy, and, and Japan. And in terms of ensuring those kinds of threats to the world, never uh, uh, resurfaced, you know, anywhere on the planet. But it's very interesting when you fast forward to the 20th century and you look at it in terms of the relationship between the UN and these particular states, they are very, very strong. And so mere fact that the notion that somehow the UN was established to present these powers from rearing their ugly head again uh, speaks values in terms of the kind of hypocrisy that exists with respect to U.S. foreign policy in terms of their, their willingness to to, to not only embrace these particular countries, but to actually foment right-wing movements today 
right inside those same countries. And so I find that ironic. But I think her central point in terms of UN being uh, antagonistic toward Africa, I think that stands. And with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. All right, thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, another point that was labeled in that documentary was the point of how our history has been and continues to be presented to us in a way where it put us at a disadvantage. For example, she stated that when we talk about our independence, we should never accept the idea that someone gave us our independence, but we took it. We took back what we naturally asked. We were independent from the beginning. Your response to the narrative for the point is to understand that no one gave us anything. We took what we rightfully asked. Your response, Brother Anthony? Yes. Uh, could you repeat your question, please? I'm sorry. My question is, was she correct in terms of understanding the importance of history? The point she made, Brother Anthony, is that when we talk about African African people receiving their independence, it was not given to us, but we took it. We took back what we was naturally ours. We were independent from the beginning of time. They came and took that, and we took it back. So we should never accept the narrative that someone gave us any independence. Is that a... Uh, she is. Uh, the, I, I think that's a crucial observation. Yes, uh, I think I think uh, uh, she is correct in that observation, and uh, and uh, the way history is presented is crucial, especially to our youth, uh, because it, it it does have a psychological impact. And uh, and that's why uh, you know colonialism runs rampant in Africa to this day uh, because of the way our history is presented. Thank you, brother Anthony and brother Moses. Where are you at with the issue of even today? We look at what recently and what continue took place in Ukraine. How to view African people in terms of she said they're third class or third country nationals. Again, when you talk about someone is a third country nationalist, he said that's anyone who who is outside of the European concept of family and nation. And they see a treat African people like that. Your take on that narrative, Brother Moses. This is true. Um, you know, it seems that um you know, first class, second class, third class citizenship is, uh, you know, as, as Brother Howley Selassie said, until the philosophy that holds one race superior and another inferior, you know, there's going to be war. I mean, because people are going to be trying to get their just, fair um, um, due. You know, they brought us here for a job, you know, the question is, are we going to get paid? And, you know, it takes a certain amount of self-worth, self-integrity to know what you're in the presence of mind and know what the concrete conditions are and when you're being exploited and when you're not being exploited and what you can do and what you can't do. It's a struggle. Life is a struggle. Freedom is something you take, and then once you take it, you have to defend it. 
if you want to keep it. So, you know, the African countries are learning, you know, that uh, how to gain self-determination, including independence and on all levels, including political and economic and ideological. And the, the struggle takes for, for place on all fronts because all ideas are class ideas. And so we, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Haki. One of the issues that were raised from this documentary was the issue that when you look at the history and the struggle of African people, you must look at all of the components that was that were taken away from African people, such as their civil rights, their political rights, their cultural rights, their right to own and bear their own language. It seemed like every aspect of our humanity was taken away from us. Now, how does that impact the people when you have that kind of domination of every aspect of what they are, who they are, was taken away? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this this is the point I think we've been trying to trying to drive home since we've been doing Africa on the Move. And that's the question, the question in terms of social conditioning or socialization. Uh, one of the things that you know people have a very difficult time understanding is that, you know, how you condition people is going to determine how people behave. That's very, very clear. So when you create a situation, for instance, when you bring African ancestors over here to this country and you strip them of their language, you strip them of of, of basic basic dignity, basic humanity, when you strip them in terms of, you know, know, uh, a type of autonomy, when you strip them of all those things that are so much a part of the human consciousness, when you strip human beings of those things, they act in a way which is counterproductive to their own interests. It's not that they're crazy or they're stupid or they're ignorant. They're acting based upon socialization, which is one of the reasons why I keep saying to people, listen, it's important. We need, we need not just have discussions on racism and classism and all of this stuff, all these isms. If, in fact, if our people understood that all we have to do is to create conditions to positively impact the way our children act, or where they behave, or what they believe. And once we do that, when we create those conditions in terms of, and, and reinforce those conditions, then the children will respond to those conditions and it will manifest itself in terms of how they behave, how well they do in school, and blah, and so on and so forth. So it's the conditions that are important. And the people who listen to power understand the conditions is important. As long as they dictate the conditions, they can determine what kind of person you're going to be. I know for a lot of people that's a very difficult concept to swallow. They're like, what are you saying? What are you, what, exactly what are you saying here? And I'm trying to say that human beings are like computers. What you put into the computer programming is what you get out of the computer. And it's very, very simple. So I think that when you look at the experience of Africa in terms of control of the educational system, uh, control of the political system, and to a large extent control of the, of the, 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 the social system, when you look at those kind, that those kind of controls, then inevitably you keep, create a people who are pliable, people who are pretty much you know, without a consciousness, and it's precisely what they want. They don't want you to have a consciousness, which explains why when Africans rise up with a consciousness, uh, whether it be Steve Biko, whether it be, um, uh, whether it be uh, Zikwe of, of Nigeria, uh, or whether, or whether it be um, uh, Nureri, or, or whoever they may be, whenever, whenever, they, whenever Africans with consciousness rise up, they become a marked target for the West because such people have negated the social conditioning, social political conditioning, who understand, who see clearly what the, situ- what the, what the reality is in terms of the uh, situation confronting our people. And those people become enemies of the state, Western states throughout the world. 
And so that's so it's important we understand that when they when this when they impose this kind of social conditioning, certainly one of the reasons why when you think of America in terms of this systematic approach in terms of destroying African history, understand if our people don't understand that history, then when we're fed this notion that we never created anything, we never did anything, that we are we are we are we are, we are hopeless people. When, when they destroy the history, if our children don't know that history, they internalize these notions that we're, that we're worthless, that we have nothing to contribute to society, for, so forth and so on. That is on us to create the conditions that can be as a, serve as a counterbalance to that kind of social conditioning. And it's very simple. And I'm happy to hear, at least in Florida, churches are beginning to say, listen, you won't teach black history to, to our children? No problem. We're going to teach black history to our children. That's the kind of mindset that we must have throughout the entire community you know, in the African world inside of, inside of North America. We have to fundamentally un- understand that the conscious conscious aspect of our existence is key. If we don't remedy that, then we fall for all kinds of tricks, all kinds of propaganda, all kinds of socialization suggests that we're less than because if we don't have information to, to, to rebuff such views, then we tend to internalize that. And to the extent that we accept those kind of imagery, we act out or we project that kind of imagery. So we have to have conditions in the African community where say to our children that this is your history, this is what you're capable of doing. You as mothers and daughters, you as a, you as a, you as the as the as, as the mothers and fathers of civilization, you who who all life began, you who uh, created all these great things, you can do it. No matter what anybody says, no matter what the system says. You can do it, but if you don't reinforce that in, in, in terms of creating conditions in the community for your little, little African children to, to embrace that, they embrace the social, the the social, the social, or the social, the the embrace the the, the propagandistic uh, um, um, uh, socialization that's coming from from people who like to see us, you know, in a position of powerlessness. And so clearly, Brother Africa, it's incumbent upon us to create those conditions in terms of making sure that our children are empowered. So no matter no no system be able to stop them once they understand who they are then no system can stop them no matter how much they say you're worthless you're worthless you're worthless if that kid has an understanding of who they are and if you got a community to reinforce who they are then that kid's going to go far and they understand that and in Africa it's the same thing so with Islam history in terms of the oppression you know of information on a continent it's all by design it's designed to make Africans think that you have you 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 have to contribute anything to the world you have nothing to offer to the world in fact. Uh, you 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 lack uh, innate intelligence, and so therefore you're essentially worthless. And to the extent that Africans don't have access to information to rebuff such such nonsense, uh, people tend to internalize that. That is all part of the sociological piece. This is why socialization is something that has to be combated. But first and foremost, we who have a slave mentality, if we have a slave mentality, we have to see that in ourselves and say, listen, I have an obligation to my children, I have an obligation to my community to rid myself of the slave mentality. Because the only way I, for me to empower these children and empower my community, I have to get rid of certain certain behaviors that are counterproductive to the aspirations of my people, to, particularly aspirations of our children. So I think the question of socialization is key, and that's what people in position power understand. It's important that people who are oppressed understand the game that's being perpetuated and begin to create those conditions to rebuff you know, any negative socialization that they might uh, uh, bring to bear when it comes to you know, how our children think and behave. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, when we talk about the word struggle and we look at the conditions of Africa, African people today, one of the things uh, we need to take a look at in terms of what type of policies 
and formal decisions that were made that may have not been in the best interest of Africa independence and Africa development. For example, it talks about 14 African countries are still paying tax taxes to France for a so-called slave tax or a tax for colonialism. It talks about how certain countries have historically entered into agreement where in order to sell their natural resources, they first must give their colonizers the first choice of buying their resources, and then if they don't want to buy their resources, they can tell them not to sell it to nobody else on the open market. How do we change those kind of um, historical decisions that have been made in the past and change them so we can truly uh, begin to um, use our resources based upon our best interests and use? And use your response to that phenomenon, Brother Anthony. Yes, uh, we have to get uh, get uh, better organized as a people. Uh, and uh, let's see, our our, in, our enemy is well organized, and uh, as long as we're disorganized, we cannot. Uh, uh, def- uh, defeat our enemy, which is imp- imperialism in all of its manifestations, including capitalism and Zionism. And uh, we have to get better organized than we have been. It's important for every African to belong to an organization that's working for people's liberation. And also that is guided by revolutionary ideology. And uh, we have to uh, teach uh, one another uh, the truth about our history. That is the only way we're going to overcome, uh, uh, you know, what the enemy has put before us. And uh, let's see, and we have to uh, organize to uh, uh, to gain control over our our uh, culture and destiny. Thank you, Brother Anthony, to Brother Moses, and the rest of our panelists. I'm going to ask y'all this one question. I'd like to just have y'all general response. From this documentary, it made the issue that we need to come up with African solutions to our problems. What does that mean to you when we say we need to come up with African solutions? Brother Brother Moses, what does that mean to you? Well, politics determines economics, and we're talking ultimately about political economy and basically revolutionary theory about the economy and what people need and uh, how to produce it and how to plan the economy. and we we have to be organized to take control and and you know I've sent around some um, videos lately of uh, uh, Gabon and uh, um, um, what is this um, this this the Sahar countries um, the um, French colonial old French colonial countries uh, are taking control of their resources now. Things are changing, you know. The 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 world is on the move, and we you you know we can't stay put 
into uh, analysis that uh, t- takes a picture at, at, a, at a given moment in time and thinks that that's the same situation today because things are constantly changing. The world is in flux. There's dynamics. It's dialectical historical materialism. And people want revolution. Countries want the independence. Nations want liberation. The historical drive is pushing pushing society. And, uh, you know, we need to keep up with what's going on because things are changing constantly. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Um, next, Brother Haki, your response. When they say that we need to come up with an African solution, what that concept means to you, Brother Haki? Yeah, you know, Brother Africa, I, I wasn't quite clear on what where his sister was coming from. Uh, you know, uh, you know, when she made, gave the example, you know, that for instance, you know, if, if if we, you know, nationally on the African continent, everybody towards Swahili, uh, it'd be a unifying uni, uni, uh, unifying force. And her position was that well, but no, 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 she doesn't want her language uh, vacated simply because you know there's some national priority in terms of forming so-called uh, unity among African people. I find that somewhat problematic, because the thing is that when you think about it, even if everybody in Africa were to speak Swahili, which I seriously doubt would happen, but if they were, uh, it doesn't negate you uh, learn, uh, speaking your indigenous language. Or, you know, it doesn't negate that at all. In fact, right now, even in African speak, African, um, French-speaking con- African countries or, 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 or French-speaking African countries or English-speaking African countries, uh, or even in German-speaking African countries, you still have you know indigenous languages that are that are that are spoken. So so to, so to implement you know Swahili as a national language, it's going it's not going to interfere in terms of being able to express your express uh, your way in your own language. So I, so for, on that, I was somewhat probably I, I didn't quite understand where, where she was coming from with that, except to say that's perhaps an ultra nationalist perspective in in, in terms Can of that? solutions to Africa. Well, hey. Can I interject for a second in terms of my understanding of that statement coming from her when I look at the documentary? I think she was challenging Africans of the notion to not to continue to copy European models in terms of how they think, what to produce, what they need, et cetera, et cetera. She, I think she's saying take that own reality into account and deal, deal from that perspective and look at other folks like we have done in the past of copying their colonizers and doing things and analyzing things. That's what I took from that. No, I, I, no, I understood that, Af- Brother Africa. I mean, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty, uh, I thought that was pretty pretty much self-explanatory in terms of her position, in terms of any solution has to be, you know, come, you know, uh, it has to come, you know, you know, directly from the people themselves in terms of it's going to work. And certainly we can all get behind that. I mean, certainly the, 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 the changes that are so important in terms of the, the, the development or the, the autonomy of Africa, certainly it's going to spring from the masses of people inside the continent who determine the best way forward, and certainly that's the way it should be. I, I, I think that, you know, um, you know, one of the things that when you, when you, when you talk about, here's a, one of the problems, though. When you're saying it has to be uniquely African, here, here's the problem. Unfortunately, given the lack of political awareness that exists throughout the world, when you say African perspective, that may mean that those people who are only indigenous to Africa in terms of having a resolution to the problem that African people face. I think that, you know, that is a very, very dangerous kind of, it's very, it's very slippery slope argument. I think that if she would have clarified and said, listen, 
uh, this, this in terms of African development comes from Africans throughout the diaspora in terms of how this continent is going to develop, I think it would be much more apropos. I think the way she articulated I wasn't clear in terms of exactly where she was coming from, except I did understand that she was implying, you know, that the solution has to be uh, endemic to the, to the masses of people, you know, in Africa, and I certainly understood that. But I, I think that the, the, the broader implications is if, because she didn't explicitly say so, uh, that, uh, you know, by, by, refuse, by, by not uh, expanding her definition in terms of what is African, I think she left us in a trick bag. And my concern is that, you know, people might perceive that as, you know, Africans or those who are indigenous to the continent of Africa, have, or in terms of who actually live in Africa, have something to say in terms of the development of the continent. So I thought for me, I thought that was problematic. So that's, that's what I took from her discussion. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Anthony, what is your interpretation? What do you think you meant by coming up with African solutions? Uh what what uh what I, my, my interpretation of that is that is that we have to uh uh look uh utilize our culture uh to uh uh to look at things from our perspective in other words we cannot necessarily use european methods to solve our problems and uh and uh let's see and that um well uh let's see there's a saying uh that uh, uh among in Chromis that Revolution is an act of culture, and uh, you know we uh, we have to use our our cultural values, all of them, in order to come up with uh, with solutions to our problems, and uh, we have that ability among ourselves. Uh, to solve, uh, 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 you know, uh, you know, our problems our way. In other words, uh, uh, one of uh, uh, Nkrumah and Therese's contributions to the struggle is that ideology comes from a people's culture. So we have to be guided by our own way of thinking in terms of uh, coming up with solutions to our problems. And Brother Moses, what was your understanding of this concept of African solution? You know, well, you know, obviously she has um, her ideas about what needs to be done. in terms of uh, the indigenous people of Africa coming up with their own theory and practice, uh, uh, meeting their own needs and uh, aspirations. And, you know, that's um, self-determination and independent thought. And, you know, uh, there's nothing nothing ultimately wrong with that. That's, you know, I support um, um Kwame Nkrumah and uh, the move to uh, uh, of consciousness um, about who we are as a people and where we need to go as a people, and uh, it's, you know we we need to advocate 
uh, when we have correct ideas, we need to advocate. We need to advocate. And, uh, you know, I say, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom, let a hundred schools of thought contend. Uh, uh, I've, I've made up my mind and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, I hope that, uh, people, Recognize truth when they see truth, and that's that's all that really matters in words and deeds. We ju- we just have to be revolutionaries in words and deeds. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And in closing out this discussion on this documentary, which is titled "United Nations: Were Created to Destroy African Continent and Africa." One African right now. Check it out. Go to YouTube. One of the things we want to do is also be a support base to disseminate information. So we'd like to thank all the creators who created the documentary. documentary. But in closing out tonight, panelists, a one-minute response or so, your final thoughts on the documentary. Anything you'd like to just add to that has not been said. Brother Haki. Yeah, real quickly, the question in terms of culture, I, I think, is, 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 is a very difficult one. I think that the culture is so ambiguous, uh, you know, it, it, it could become problem, potentially problematic. I think we have to spell out precisely when we say culture what we're talking about. I think because the bottom line is that when you talk about a, a continent of, you know, the size of Africa with over, you know, or two different 2,000 languages spoken, you know, 1,500 cultures, when you talk about, you know, such diversity in terms of what is culture relevant to one group may not be culture relevant to another group. So we have to define when we, when we talk about culture, but specifically, what is we're talking about? Presumably, we're talking about the best that culture has to offer, presumably. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, in just in terms of, you know, how human beings behave, uh, what, is, what is presumably good uh, in, in one, one person's eye is necessarily presumably good in another person's eye. So we have this problem in terms of the ambiguity when it comes to culture, and so we have to, I think we have to really define what cultural, what, what cultural aspect we're talking about in terms of promoting. I think that's key in terms of a, a, avoiding problems in the long run, you know, uh, you know when, the, or when things don't materialize the way they, they, we, we think they should based upon our understanding of cultural issues, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, any final thoughts? on this particular documentary from you, Brother Anthony. Uh yes. Uh let's see. I think uh I think it's uh important to understand that uh that uh uh Af- uh, uh the perception of African history that Africans took back their uh their freedom. Uh, from uh, capitalism and uh, uh, let's see it was not something that was given it was something that we earned and uh, I I, 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 I think that's important Uh, we we earned it through our uh, our sacrifice and struggle Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, any additional thoughts you'd like to make on this documentary before we make our transition to our next one? Well, I'd like to say, you know, I'm into class struggle. 
and that you know we in society this class culture and uh so you know I'm into the working class and the work interest of the working class, therefore I want health care and education from the cradle to the grave, and you know those are the kind of interests I'm interested in, in terms of culture and and uh economy and uh freedom and and uh all the revolution and what it what it takes to be a revolutionary society and uh you know that's that's um that's 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 needed in all countries not just africa but anyway i'll leave it right there thank you thank you brother moses at this point in time you listen to brother africa at africa on the move we're discussing a documentary which can be found on YouTube titled United Nations were created to destroy African continent one Africa right now. Check out to have information that can be used as a tool to help liberate us. So we wanted to just uh, give it its proper um, respect by just highlighting and making our people aware that this information is available. So at this particular time, we're going to take a rubber show culture break, and when we come back, we will continue to um, discuss uh, these documentaries as it relates to our theme tonight, History, Struggle, and Revolution. The next documentary is titled The Untold Abuse of Black Male Slaves by White Women. That's right. The Untold Abuses of Black Male Slaves by white women. It's a subject area that I uh, very rarely talk about nor discuss, and it's a part of that struggle, part of that history, and let's just tap into that a little bit. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Let's 
few nights and gave ourselves a nice chance. They walk out for all the things when it seems everything they have to do with money. Oh yeah, now.
Black man, black man, go on and get a catch scan. I had chain wrapped too straight, too tight. We get a backhand, there ain't no Batman in this black land. I wish a rich nigga would come and save the day and pave the way. Ain't no amazing grace. I blaze the haze to remain the faith. Twenty years with my medicine, but they wanna throw me away for that. Then turn around and legalize it. I wish being black was truly accepted. Four hundred year elephant in the room. This ain't a new deal. They've been treating us like animals. We in a zoo still. So let me tell you how I feel. Guilty conscience trumps common sense every day, y'all Ignore the issues, look at the victim like it's their fault As if a wagon ain't harassing, waiting for jaywalkers In front of the building, minding your business Who's trying to pay your bills as if that wasn't to mention Conjunction, junction, tell me what's your intention Don't call them kings and treat them like some common folk You a fighter like Ronda Rose Rousey move around the road Drowsy with a cloud of smoke Howdy do for Maui, bro Traveling around the globe, you didn't know about Now you know Early morning risings, my end of alarm kicking Birdman hand rubs, feeling my palms itching I need a spiritual thought with top that's top notch We watch black power docs and study our chakras Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down You acting like the sun ain't out We gon' cop a ticket and fly on out And fly on out Ooh, child, don't you ever come, come down Oh dear black man, tell me what happened You can't be low when your glow's everlasting Then when your ass been on ass been like I has been Raising the trap when the guard talk math and moves with a Mac 10 Not that nigga back then, but look now nigga I'm established, cut camera action I cut lines with my sad card, my bitch is packing Then I'm cutting in line with a bad boy, they caught him flagging Then huddle around him with a stat chart look You stay awake up to me better than I ever been Check out my melanin, it's now the makeup for the mannequin that wants to be the same as the slave or the sedative You kill culture, I give knowledge, I spit stylish Crane kicks and Balenciagas and speaking science And bodegas that grow flavors was taught language Was taught to talk with the razor from having Spanish neighbors I fought the haters, caught cases and lost paper Educated killers walking no ladies cross the street Turn back around, walk across and sell hard to a fee No turning back now, rent due and your kids gotta eat yeah. Black man rooted deep with the blood of a king Yeah, Black man roses arose from the cold concrete I eat, walk, talk, gritty Snitches get buck fifty Slice buck fifty, both get cut quickly until they free Goldie. Nobody can fuck Talk with about Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. So we gon' cop a ticket and fly on out and fly on out. Oh, child, don't you ever come, come down. You acting like the sun ain't out. Black became beautiful, then made America great again. See the page of history or see the grave and hate again. I'm from New York, the last state to free the slaves, and now we getting to the point where they rebooting Martin Payne in them. Black man, switch it up, just to be versatile. Why you always mean mugging? Man, it never hurts to smile. Make a record, break a record, get the record straight. I'm just trying to get it going, I'm trying to accelerate. Life alert. Welcome to my world, live and living color, stay low, word to J-Lo, out here with my fly girl, black man, 
black man They give you whack answers They robbing you with Batman They give you Black Panther When all our people dying They think that we need a movie But the box office don't break off The descendants of Huey Think about it I'm cooler than a Coca-Cola polar bear Hold up, roll up something potent Right before we go in there Maroon Customs support that shit that touches the streets Puffing a leaf on a corner that gave me nothing but grief Don't come around my way if your whole message is how much you got If you ain't got no fucking shot then don't touch the fucking rock Lucy still 50 cent, cool what kind of blunts you got You can lock a few niggas for hustling but nothing stops The judge just make the hero and a young black boy lose their fucking pops And go on a robbing spree like fuck the ops Phone out of battery, black mirror, word the Windex King of the table of contents, human index I handle everything myself, the one-man quintet. Let's take it where it hasn't been yet. Dear black man. Worth life. One take. Fuck you. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. As you make our transition to our second documentary, which you can find on the YouTube, and the title is The Untold Abuse of Black Men, of Black Men Slaves by White Women. The Untold Abuse of Black Men Slaves by White Women. You know, a lot of times when we learn these narratives and we're talking about enslavement as African people, and people in general, because I think this story may not just only be unique to African people, but it was a documentary focused on African people and their enslavement. It raises some critical issues one would need to think about as we understand this whole process of human beings and their socialization process, this relationship between human beings and the use of abuse of power this whole aspect of what is the psychological makeup of one's mind or the people's mind. So when we look at slavery and we talk about the, the, the slave owners, and we always like to think about the men, also there was a role that women played, particularly, particularly at least a segment of women, and no women who was the planner's wife. So what I've asked my panelists today based upon this documentary one of the central questions was, if you look at the abuse endured by black men from the planner called white women, what was the abuse, Brother Hakeem? Because I've never heard the story before, but I do think it has a has a has an important understanding of trying to figure out how do we make this transition from making all human human beings realize. We all human, and we all have human dignity, human dignities, feelings, right, and should be treated justly. One would never thought that a woman who was oppressed, a woman who was denied the right to be viewed as equal, would be more vicious to another group of people as worse, based upon her own circumstance. So again, brother, how can you just to start us off when you look at this documentary and talk about the abuse that were endured by black men? on the planner called white women. What were these abused by white women planner owners, Brother Hackey? Yeah, well, the, the abuse was, was, was simple. Um, uh, they were in a position to essentially take advantage of, of these of these African uh, men who were enslaved. 
And so when you talk about this role in terms of socialization, in terms of the naked brutality of it all, you know, you're absolutely correct. When you when you think in terms of that kind of brutality, you think in terms of men, but for women to manifest or to express uh, similar kinds of behaviors, I think that on some level is is shocking because we simply don't see women as being that brutal. Uh, but clearly this underscores this notion in terms of just how pervasive socialization really is. It doesn't just affect um, males, it affects women as well. And so the mere fact that during this colonial antebellum South uh, period, uh, those women understood, you know, that they had life and death, uh, they made life and, death, life and death decisions over the lives of these African African men. And so, therefore, if they wanted to abuse them sexually, then they were free to do that simply because, you know, they had the means, uh, they had the, 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 the backing you know, of a system at large that said it's okay to demean them to humanize them because, after all, these African people are not a human anyway, so it doesn't matter what you do to them. So I think there is a lesson to be learned in terms of, you know, socialization, in terms of this process, in terms of dehumanizing people. You know, I'm often, you know, remember, I often think about the fact that one of the things that people don't often understand is that, you know, for people who work inside correctional facilities, you know, uh, and where prisoners are routinely dehumanized, uh, people don't understand that that dehumanization process also affects the people who work inside those those institutions who are privy to this kind of dehumanization of other human beings. And it manifests itself in terms of how it treats their spouses, uh, how it treats their, how they treat their kids, how they treat society. There's a tremendous amount of anger and anxiety, a, a, a tremendous amount of rage uh, as a result of being exposed to that kind of that kind of brutality. So clearly we have to understand in terms of, you know, when we talk about capitalism in terms of the destructive tenants, we got to understand that the destructiveness, uh, this brutality that's so implicit in capitalism, we have to understand fully that it's not just men who embrace the, the brutality uh, and destructiveness. You know, also women who embrace and, 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 and internalize, also internalize the abrasiveness and the destructiveness, you know, of, of the capitalist system. And so clearly um, it's good that you, you brought this question up in terms of socialization, Brother Africa, because clearly, you know, uh, in order to, to, to understand you know, these women's behavior, uh, we, we have to look intimately at the role the socialization plays in terms of conditioning people, not only to see Africans as less than human, but to empower them as such to be in a position to actually inflict all kind of pain and not feel any ounce of guilt in terms of inflicting pain on another human being. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. Socialization affects uh, men and women equally, and we have to understand that, and particularly in the context of living under capitalist society. And with that, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, when I saw this documentary, I said, damn. You know, when we talk about always associate rape with women, on the documentary, men can be raped too. Do you agree with that assessment, Brother Anthony? And also, more importantly, though, Brother Anthony, you know, this whole question of, of, of power dominance, you know, one of the things they point out in this, uh, in this documentary is that the reason for white women uh, mistreating African males in such a beautiful way because they express a sense of power dominance. Um, your response to that narrative, Brother Anthony, can men be weight too? The mic is yours, Brother Anthony. Waiting for Brother Anthony. While we're waiting for Brother Anthony, Brother Moses, can you respond to the question? Looking at the documentary, 
can men be raped? And this whole question of um, power dominance. Um, this whole issue of you know if you have power, what has what are some tendencies that it would make you do because of the fact that you just have it? Your response, brother, brother Moses. Well, well, you know, obviously, you know, when there's a when you're enslaved, you don't have your will uh, as the what's going on. Uh, it's the will of the master that's going on, and your your will is being broken, and uh, you 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 are submissive and subservient to their needs and aspirations and their desires, and um, it's a power relationship. Political power flows from a barrel of a gun, the whip. The chain, the 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 whole system, uh, and so you know we we uh, the past can only serve the present and the future, and so you know we have to keep keep it in a proper perspective, uh, but we have to learn from the past and recognize that uh, you know white women have been the backbone of the Ku Klux Klan, is my understanding, and. Uh, Certainly, Donald Trump has his followers, you know. Uh, so, you know, Clarence Thomas is an example. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, we have to, we have to know who we are and what we're about, and uh, and have some kind of integrity and uh, self-esteem, and I don't know, just some things are just pure ignorance, but you can't, you can't explain it. You just have to accept it or reject it. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Haki, you know, there's a narrative, you know, in Western, from Western, Western nations that European women, in this case, let's just identify those in power in general that they had a tendency of being scared and fearful of African men. But looking at that documentary, there's nothing in that documentary that will make you think there was any kind of fearfulness um, by white women when it came to African men. I mean, even if you look at some of the brutal torture techniques that African men had to endure, from the women. Psychologically speaking, just a mindset. As someone doing some kind of analysis or looking at that kind of behavior, what could you conclude from this, Brother Hackey? Well, I think clearly, you know, um, the, 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 the documentary exposed the, the fearlessness uh, that was portrayed, you know, by these uh, planet class women, planet class white women. Uh, clearly, they're in specifically when you talk about the example of Madame uh, Marie Delphine Lalori, in terms of the deliciousness of her to, you know, I mean, to gouge out eyes, you know, to puncture skulls, you know, uh, you know, to, to, to tear out fingernails. This kind of brutality, you know, I, I, I think is, is is something that's normally not expected of women. But one of the things when I fast forward in terms of the abuse that occurred in, in Abu Ghraib prison in Iraq, similar kinds of uh, behaviors manifest themselves among women. In fact, one of the women who were responsible you know, for the brutality of those inmates in that prison in uh, Iraq 
uh, was eventually charged, but the naked brutality you know, of this, and have and also in regard to interviews that were conducted, uh, talking to her, uh, she expressed total dismay in terms of her behavior. She didn't understand her behavior. She just felt obligated to do what she did without understanding why she did what she did. So I think that sort of underscores the kind of uh, socialization in terms of, in terms of you know you know how uh, the system you know can adversely affect affect the way people uh, people behave. But more important thing, brother, after to get to your question specifically, I think one of the things is that when you talk about this role that quote unquote uh, planet class white women play in terms of being submissive, sweet, kind, and this kind of thing, it was all an act because the bottom line is that you know they understood. You know that there was something to gain from creating the perception they were meek, kind, sensitive, so forth and so on. Uh, but of course, they also realized, in just in terms of the behavior, just in terms of what they, the, what the, the power they wield in society, they also understood they could use it in terms of to advantage in terms of particularly, uh, you know, uh, in showing, you know, um, you know the, uh, the 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 brutalization of African men by simply saying, "Oh, he he looked at me," or he he said something to me, or he he tried to rape me, or whatever. So so clearly, uh, you know, African, I mean, Af- white women were were very very clear in terms of the kind of power that they wield. In fact, to, to show in terms of pretending like you know that they meek and sub- submissive and all this stuff was part of an act. Uh, so clearly, you know, they know when to turn it on and turn it off. Uh, so clearly, it speaks to the kind of manipulation that's so prevalent among you know uh, the planet class white women. And if you fast forward to today, when you look in terms of powerful women, and I'm, I'm thinking Hillary Clinton particularly, when you think about in terms of callousness when it comes to, you know, uh, her desire to see destruction in places like, you know, Iraq, Libra, Libya, and places like that, when you think about a woman, you know, advocating for mass destruction, you, you think back and say, well, certainly as a woman, certainly you would think that she would be hard, hard, hard pressed to even come up with such, you know, such with, with such desire to see such such destruction as a, as someone who's capable of carrying life and having life. Uh, but clearly, you know, when we talk about socialization and we talk about powerful white women, uh, all of that seems to go out the door. So this question in terms of civility, kindness, uh, uh, compassion, all that stuff, doesn't necessarily exist in the minds of wealthy white women, in part because conditions would say that white wealthy white women are, in fact, empowered. And so, therefore, they're free to do whatever and whenever they want to do to any and everybody, and it's that simple. And I'll close. So, Brother Hockey, before I let you close, the other panelists, y'all can weigh in on this, too. Uh, I was thinking similar um, when I looked at this documentary. I also was thinking similar in terms of when we talk about history and talk about struggle, you know, they, they say the struggle continues, so does the history, because when you mentioned Hillary Clinton, I thought about her and her behavior that we know of in Libya. Uh, some of the reports that came out where she even talked about we came, we saw, we conquered. More importantly, Brother Haki, what made this real um, real thoughtful was the fact that it was my understanding from reading some documentaries that she also uh, was part of this, this narrative of action, uh, uh, unleashing terror on Africans who were dark-skinned in Libya, the dark-skinned Africans, and to annihilate them. So I'm just wondering, is this a continuation? Like sometime in the past, here's a transition on to the, to the present. Your general response on that, Brother Haki, and I bring Moses and Brother Anthony back in on that. Yeah, I, I, I think it is a continuation. 
I think uh, I think to Brother Moses' point, the question in terms of class certainly is relevant in terms of the behavior of, of uh, you know wealthy white women. Uh, they're of the you know they're of the privileged class, and their position is that you know whatever they say goes. And you know, how often have you seen a situation where wealthy white women accuse uh, African men of, of crimes that they themselves committed because they realize that if, and, and once they say that that the uh, all focus will be taken off of them and put up, placed onto that. African man who allegedly committed committed an offense, even though the African man had nothing to do with, with, with whatever transpired. But clearly, you know, when we talk about the issue in terms of class, in terms of wealthy white women, they they fundamentally understand that they have a tremendous amount of power and turned under control, and they're not afraid to use it. And so, to the extent that they start, you know, you know, uh, not only just emulating, uh, you know, white men in terms of their brutality. But when they start actively, you know, and in, in actively, you know, uh, participating and engaging in in, in, in in avenues in which surely will bring about, you know, the death of people, uh, you would, you find that problematic because you know one of the things in terms of you know women having having you know, have access to life, we always believe that women to be spiritual. We see women as as somehow, you know, a a a a a a a useful a a a a, a useful component in terms of you know, keeping things balanced and measured. Uh, in that regard, you know, so we talk about, normally we talk about the hot-haired husband, but the woman who keeps him cool in terms of, you know, just her demeanor and just, you know, her ability, you know, to, to calm that individual down uh, based upon her, her feminine gifts. Uh, but clearly when we look at it in terms of, you know, you know, wealthy white women in terms of their potential in terms of, uh, in terms of being a cooling influence, you know, on men, it's the exact opposite. Uh, these women are very much, uh, very much capable of participating in committing all kind of atrocities, and don't have a, 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 a thought about it. Uh, when you think about um, Charlie Manson's Charlie Manson's group, uh, and you talk to those women who participated in the killing of those people to so-called start this race war, uh, when you look at those women who are very ed- who are educated women, and when you think about the fact that they were educated and they were willing to carry out these kind of killings, then certainly you can understand. This whole question in terms of you know uh, having a feeling of, of, of a, having a feeling of, of, of authority, a feeling that uh, you're entitled, uh, certainly played a part in terms of their willingness to go out and just kill people, you know, for no reason all other than supposedly starting a race a race war in America, which will result in the deaths of you know possibly tens or hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, so clearly, brother Africa, I think that class dynamic in terms of is, is very much a, a factor in terms of powerful white women, in terms of how they think, because they do see themselves as being privileged. And I'll close with that. Brother Hackey, I can let you close out this question, and then other panelists can come in. But I think you have to think and, and draw maybe a parallel. And I might be wrong, but I'm just wondering, what would you say to what took place during that time in the documentary, during the antebellum battle period, during the period where people were enslaved, to what's going on today in Palestine as it relates to the wives of the Israeli soldiers, the wives of the rich, powerful politicians' wives. What do you say to them in terms of they are mothers, they have children, they want their children to be protected, but at the same time, they seem to be um, uh, participating in a process where they have no guidance for other children, other mothers, other people's lives. Anyway, well, Brother Africa, for for me, that's problematic on, on on many many levels. I think first and foremost, 
when you supposedly an advocate for a specific re- for a particular uh, religion or way of life, and you engage in a kind of brutal behavior in terms of you know uh, enforcing systems of power that are designed specifically uh, to commit to 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 to, to, uh, to kill people. When you when you oversee such a system and you support such a system, and as a mother, you, you're right. You would think that uh, that you will fi- you, that you'll find that idea odious. But the bottom line is that you know for for these women, you know, in 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 Israel, <clears throat> you know, uh, who uh, who support you know Netanyahu's policies, uh, part and parcel comes from this notion and the fact that you know that somehow the religion or or, or at least their perception of the religion gives them carte blanche right. You know, to do as they please, and it doesn't matter in terms of level of destruction uh, that that <clears throat> that is inflicted upon other people. Uh, all this is important is that uh, you, as a as an Israeli woman, be respected. So if that means that killing lots of people in terms of earning that respect, you as an Israeli woman, uh, <clears throat> isn't being necessary, then you don't have a problem with this kind of kind of destruction simply because it serves your interests. And so, therefore, for that reason, you know, you know, I'm, I'm hard pressed to even understand, you know, when you when you think about, you know, the the, the excessive killing, and particularly when you start talking about, you know, all those killings as a result of land that was stolen, you know, and the solution is, is very very simple. If you don't want to return the land to the original inhabitants, at the very minimum, you can at least have a two state solution. But the very fact that these women are adamant there be no two state solution, in fact, they prefer a a a, 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 a they prefer a, a nation just. Uh, quote, quote unquote Jewish people, whatever that means. Uh, the mere fact that they are advocating for such a nation speaks values in terms of the willingness they, to inflict harm on Palestinian people. Even even though Palestinian people have nothing to do in terms of the war that's been waged between Hamas and and uh, and uh, and the and the uh, uh, um, excuse me the the um, Jewish the, um, the Jewish military. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, I think again the question in terms of you know you know it's all a question in terms of you know socialization. I mean, if you your position is that somehow that you're special or you're unique, then certainly you can always justify the destruction of other people based upon the fact that you're better than. And I find that problematic in the context of a way of life or religion, which says which frowns upon this notion that that anybody is better than anybody else based upon trivialities. Uh, you know, so clearly, Brother Africa, you know, I, I, I think that, again, the question in terms of socialization is key here in terms of how people see themselves. And to the extent that people embrace the socialization, they can kill and maim at will and don't have a problem with it at all. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, can you hear me? Are you back? Yes, I am. Yeah, Brother Anthony, we were discussing. I don't know if you've been following our discussion with Brother Haki. I raised the issue of, you know, this class aspect of these pregnant women and their attitude towards African men. I raised the question again. One of the things about history is history is also a continuation of the past that takes place in in, in the present. If you look at what what was produced in a documentary, it seems like it has a lot of parallels in terms of uh, females who may be in power and how they are behaving today. In example, if you see what's going on in Palestine, as well as Ukraine, I just would like for you maybe speak to this whole question of women who have been uh, denied access to power, but when they are given power, they act out in reference to how they have been mistreated. So your general response to that to that phenomenon, Brother Anthony? 
Yes. Oh well, women are the uh, 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 are the uh, are the primary uh, uh, perpetuators of a people's culture, and that applies uh, to European and uh, African and, and and indigenous people around the world, and. Uh, they uh their role is to uh uh because uh, uh of the closeness they have to their to their children they they perpetuate a people's culture and uh and so a lot of the uh you know uh the attitudes that uh, are, are, are learned by human beings are perpetuated by women, and that is regardless of uh, nationality and class. It seems like, and so I think, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, even though women are in the press sector. Of uh, uh, of European society, they perpetuate uh, the cultural uh, attitudes uh, that per, uh, that pervade uh, 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 European society. So they ha- they even though they're oppressed, they play a role in the oppression of African people. And uh, and I think uh, and I think that's uh, my takeaway from uh, this documentary that even though uh, uh, Europeans are in the, uh, women are in the press sector, they uh, they uh, went, went uh, uh, to the extent that they had any any sort of political power. Uh, they perpetuated the uh, uh, European cultural values, and uh, and uh, you know, and uh, that uh, per, uh, uh, pervades to this day, and that is where I see the connection between the present and the past. Thank you, brother. This is brother Moses. Looking at this documentary which is titled The Untroll Abuse of Black Male Slaves and White Women. One of the things came to mind was that there's a whole history and legacy of human rights abuse, a legacy of child abuse, a legacy of animal abuse, a legacy of just abusing humanity. What was your take from this film, Brother Moses? What stood out the most to you as an African man when you watch the documentary? Well, this, you know, this, this, you know, stood out in my mind uh, that you know that there's a cruelty, there's evil in the world, and that, and that you know white women are capable of evil just like any other people, and um, but you know I'm. Optimistic that this is not the this is not the norm. This is not the vast majority of white women, and so you know this is a class thing and a, takes place in historically, and a, still manifests itself in many ways. Madeleine Albright, 
Um, we can go on um, with Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, we uh, there's uh, many examples of, of bourgeois women uh, taking advantage of, of oppressed people. Um, we need to to organize to to prevent to re, you know to fight back basically uh, and uh, unite the many to defeat the few. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Harkey and Brother Anthony. Just give us your final thoughts on this documentary. Are uh, there anything additional you'd like to um, share with the listening audience as we relate to this documentary, The Untold Abuse of the Black Male Slaves by White Women? Brother Harkey. Yeah, I think, I think one of the things we have to take away from this documentary is that, you know, when we talk about socialization in terms of the empowerment of, of, of white women. Uh, we have to be very, very clear that this kind of socialization doesn't simply apply only to wealthy white women. It applies to white women generally. This notion in terms of perceived superiority uh, manifests itself in white women, period. And it doesn't matter whether they're liberal or liberal or conservative. Of course, conservative white women will act on the impulses where liberal white women uh, are intelligent enough to refrain from an outward expression in terms of contempt. But nonetheless, when you look at the behaviors in terms of liberal white women, in terms of their interactions with, with people of color, then clearly this notion in terms of superiority does manifest itself. And so in that context, we have to understand fundamentally that that um, socialization affects women across the board. And that's precisely why it exists, because they want white women to think a certain way. And so clearly, uh, you know, it would be a disservice to simply allude to the fact that only wealthy white women exude, you know, this kind of arrogance, this kind of uh, this kind of uh, uh, potential for brutality, uh, when the reality is that it exists across the board. And having said that, Brother Afri- Africa, I conclude with that. And Brother Anthony, one of the things that came out of this documentary also is that it seems to me they had no respect for family. European men still then and today continue to abuse their women, particularly those in power. Your final thoughts on this film, Brother Anthony? Uh, yes. Uh, 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 women are, uh, 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 European women are subject to, uh, to exploitation by European uh, men. Uh, and uh, they uh, and uh, they uh, uh, they their reaction to it is to try to play the same games as uh, a, 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 as their male counterparts, and uh, and that's why uh, 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 African men were subject to uh, exploitation by European women. And uh, this is, uh, and because history is often written by men, uh, it it, uh, it is not, uh, it is, it is, uh, the effects on African men are not addressed. And this documentary deals with that. And uh, is uh, you know is an 
is an under uh, uh, an underplayed aspect of our history. Uh, that uh, European women uh, also participated in our oppression. Thank you, Brother Anthony. This is Africa on the Move. We're going to take a revolutionary culture break. And when we come back, we're going to close out with our third documentary. We're going to respond to the horrific truth about breeding farms during slavery. This is Brother Africa, and you are listening to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back, and don't you go nowhere. We'll be
to creation of new technology and making production more efficient that seems to lead toward less workers. Well, for some reason, in this case, seems like the creation of the cottagen was more technological. You could do more with less people, increase the institution of slavery. So I would like my panelists to respond to that phenomenon and to close out that program with any other thoughts they would like to share with our listening audience as it relates to this particular, particular documentary. We start out with you, Brother Hackey. The mic is yours. Yeah, well, one of the things when we talk about in terms of, you know, technological innovation leading to fewer workers, uh, you know, um, historically that's not always been the case. And I think you alluded to the fact that when you talk about the innovation of the cotton gin, uh, and despite that innovation in terms of making cotton picking much easier, much faster, relative workers, uh, the actual number of uh, enslaved Africans actually increased. And so that's, that's very, very interesting. In part, you know, that increase, Brother Africa, was in part was because of, you know, the the the, the ending of the uh, Atlantic slave trade in 1808. And certainly one of the things that, uh, we, you know, and at that point in history, uh, people on those plantations equated more slave labor uh, as, uh, as, 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 a, as a testament to their own status. So in that regard, it really didn't matter whether or not, uh, you know, uh, increasing numbers of African enslaved workers would actually undermine their bottom line. The bottom line was that the more African enslaved uh, labor they had, the more their status boomed and the more their status increased. And so I think in that regard, I think when we talk about the subjective nature in terms of capitalism, we can't discard in terms of, you know, when you look at in terms of disparity between the have and have nots, we can't discard the reality that there are a lot of people, you know, who thrive, who like to see these kind of disparities that to exist, and in part because where these disparities exist, it sort of magnifies their status or magnifies who they are in relationship to all the all the all the poor people, you know, surrounding them. Uh, so it sounds it sounds sort of crazy, but the bottom line is that when we talk about in terms of you know, human expression, uh, we can't uh, we can't dismiss anything. And certainly, one of the things when we talk about capitalism, we talk about the potential to uh, potential to commodify everything. Everything is commodity. Uh, so in that context, when we talk about if everything is commodity, then we got to conclude that people too are commodities. And because people are commodities, because it's not a question in terms of what can you do to elevate them. It's a question of what can you do to use them. And in that regard, I think when we talk about the enslavement of African people on those plantations, uh, increasing numbers sort of point, underscored, you know, the just the the, the, the amount of, of status attained by those individuals uh, relative, you know, smaller uh, smaller farms that had fewer African enslaved labor on them. So with that, Brother Africa, I conclude. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Anthony. Your response, Brother Anthony, to the narrative of the efficiency of new technology, the more technological one gets, the less likely they will need, need labor. But in this case, that seems not to have happened when it comes to um, African people. Your response to that and your general take on this documentary, what can we learn from it, Brother Anthony? Yes, a couple of things. One, uh it it, it uh, the demand for cotton increased 
you know, uh, the fact that uh, the gen uh, made uh, made the refinement of cotton easier, it increased the demand for African labor, while at the same time, the uh, a major source of that labor, the Af- uh, the transatlantic slave trade, was coming to an end. So that, uh, and also, uh, let's see, uh, let's see, uh, uh, the uh, crops like tobacco and uh, and uh, and rice wore out the soil, and so uh, uh, let's see the uh, let's see the plant uh, the plantations resorted to slave breeding in order to uh in, 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 in order uh in order to uh prosper economically and this became uh especially true of uh you know uh, certain uh, uh certain regions of the south like Maryland and Virginia and uh let's see they resorted to uh uh the plantations be, uh uh became uh, breeding farms and uh and uh let's see so it, uh, the oppression of africans increased uh as a result of this and uh and uh they uh they uh their exploitation became worse, and uh, uh, technology in this case uh, intensified the exploitation of Africans and uh, did not alleviate their oppression. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Moses. Your final thought on this documentary? How? Horrific truth about breeding, breeding farms during slavery. No thoughts, Brother Moses. Well, it's, well, it reminds me of um, W. E. B. Du Bois, the souls of black folk. You know the history, history of uh, our endurance and uh, slave enslavement here in this country uh it's a despicable uh, uh no morality no no just pure profit driven uh people uh just to be used and uh, abused and the all, all almighty profit is 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 what is what um motivates people and it's just, it's just, it's a sad situation. It's, it's, it's despicable. It's, 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 you know, uh, we need to alleviate all vestiges of this, this, this legacy from our, our history. Uh, uh, not, not purged from the history, but to get this, the spirit, uh, out of uh, our minds and our hearts. And uh, become human again, and uh, 
uh, you know, this is, you know, it just shows that humanity is capable of all sorts of things from Hitler on, and uh, and the, the Palestinians are suffering right now because of inhumanity. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And at this point in time, we're going to take a quick revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, our panelists will give us the final thoughts for today's program as it relates to history, struggle, and revolution. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race, and creed we need a new beginning let us plant the seed plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. That's right. Palestine, Palestinian people need their freedom. All people who are struggling for their freedom, struggling against oppression, 
struggle against oppressive systems such as imperialism, capitalism, Zionism, neocolonialism, they need their freedom. And we are in solidarity with them. In closing out tonight, we'd ask our panelists to make that closing statement of two minutes or less as relates to our theme tonight, which is on the fifth day of November, 2023. Our theme is history, struggle, and revolution. Brother Moses, your final thought for tonight. Well, the history, all written history is the history of class struggle, and certainly the Bible is written history, and uh, the now nationalism, uh, the segregation of, of uh, the children of Israel is documented in the Old Testament, and their struggle to to maintain themselves as a people, and the now nationalist uh, project that they put out, uh, and. Um, but the answer for the world today is Jesus in terms of the New Testament. And so internationalism, communism, um, this is the direction of the future. And I think, you know, the world has to recognize that and uh, and uh, get with it. I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Moses. Next, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts? My final thought is that uh, Pan-Africanism is the solution to to the problem of oppression we're facing by imperialism, uh, Zionism, capitalism, and all of its manifestations. Uh, Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, And uh, that is the solution uh, to the problems faced by Africans worldwide. And uh, it can be achieved through permanent organization of our people. And uh, to learn more about it, uh, people can check out our website, www.aprp-gc.org. And uh, you can find out more about uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, objective, and our history and uh, our, our program, which is the organization of the masses of our people, because it is only through organization that we can feed the enemies of humanity. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Hakeem, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Brother, well, brother Africa, I, I simply got to say, you know, our existence in this country is precarious, to say the least. Uh, you know, a recent report stated, uh, you know, 90% of all unemployed people since the ending of the pandemic, 90% were African people. And just in terms of, you know, recent college graduates, the situation isn't any better. In addition to being unemployed, and they're talking about the fact that, you know, for, for individuals in the African community with BS degrees, on average, are indebted $52,000. 
Now, and all of this is problematic, particularly when you give the fact, and when you think about it in terms of functional banks, in terms of the kind of debt that they're currently current, you know, recently, you know, uh, uh, four of the major banks in the society uh, ended up, uh, you know, they, they lost $40 billion. Uh, and when you think about that kind of loss, when you think about the bank's uh, historic mission, which is to provide liquidity for the system to make it possible to borrow money to create, to increase your, to build your business, to create, to, to, in, to expand your business, uh, to provide credit for housing, those kind of things. So when you think about in terms of the indebtedness of the banks and you think in terms of how that relates to the overall situation for African people in society, we have to fundamentally understand that it's not a good thing. And we're seriously, we have to do some hard thought in terms of what's going on. We can ill afford to pretend like everything is fine. But having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, I think that is key in terms of, you know, creating the kind of institutions, the kind of um, – uh, the kind of um, organizations that we need in the community in terms of truly combating the injustices that we fundamentally face on a daily basis. With that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. You do the same, Brother Haki. We'd like to thank our listening audience, our friends, our supporters, and, of course, our panelists tonight for taking, taking some time to spend with our audience as we discuss important issues that are affecting our community and our world. We'd like to remind everyone that you can hear Africa on the Move every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S. We also would like to remind you, if you'd like to support the station, you can do that by sending your flowers to or by Zelle. Send it by Zelle out to African Awareness Association, too, at Gmail. Or you can cash app us at dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, Small C, small R, small O, small B. We greatly would thank you for your support, and we want to remind you that, remember, without information, you cannot thank, and without organization, you cannot thank clearly. Please join an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people. As we close out today's theme, history, struggle, and revolution, we just want to remind you that, look, Whenever there is struggle, there is progress. So let's continue to struggle, and therefore we will continue to make progress. Until next time, we will just leave you with some user inspiration. This has been Africa on the Move, and I'm Brother Africa, and we'll see you next week. Now spread the word by sharing our programs with your supporters and with your network. In the next couple of months, we'd like to reach at least a minimum of 100,000 listenership. And you can do that by emailing us at footonthemove2 at gmail.com, and we are seeing a copy of this program. We need your support. We need your help. Let's do this thing together. Remember, through unity, all things are possible. So until next time, we'll see you next week. This has been Brother Africa on Africa on the Move. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger.
How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey. Yeah, last through my journey. Yeah. When we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care for soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know. That I've been here and made it through my journey, yeah, and made it through my journey, yeah, 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 made it through my journey, made it through my journey, Hellerino. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. The light is clear, 
your step Cause you never know where the night will go And they ain't missed yet The songs survive, they stay alive Africa on the move. We love you.